morning. So good to see you here this morning. You awake? You ready to go? Okay. Okay. Some of us are, and I hope you got your coffee or whatever you need to feel awake at this time of the morning, because you know it's possible to be here, but not really be here. You know what I mean by that? Uh, Sometimes that's the preacher's fault, you know, when uh, maybe you uh, lose, kind of go to la-la land or drift off a little bit. It's kind of like the, um, I heard about this formal banquet uh, that had three speakers that were speaking at it, and uh, they were discussing some pretty, you know, hotly debated topics. So there was a moderator there to kind of keep everything under control, and uh, there was a businessman and a lawyer and a preacher that were speaking. That was the lineup. So the businessman got up, and as you would expect, just to the point, real polished, uh, got to his points really quickly, and was brief, and was done in no time. And then the lawyer stood up, and uh, he was much more wordy, sounded smart, uh, and. Uh, went on a little bit longer, but, you know, finished right before he lost the crowd, you know, did a good job, and then the preacher got up, and he went on, and he went on, and he went on, and he went on, and the moderator was frustrated, he was trying to give him every signal in the world to tell him that his time was up, and the, mo- and the preacher just kept going on and on, and the moderator got so upset that he took his gavel and flung it across the stage at the preacher, but he missed, and it went down to the front row, and uh, hit a poor elderly lady in the head, just bonked her right in the head, and people ran to her aid, and, and she began to, you know, lose, almost lose consciousness. As she was about to pass out, she was heard to say, hit me again, I can still hear him. <laughs> Sometimes it can be the speaker's fault, you know, but a lot of times, uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, been in a service before and been tempted to drift off, if you've maybe been guilty before, maybe all of us have, have at least taken a little tiny nap in church. But people sleeping in church isn't anything new. In fact, that's what the people in the next church that Jesus is addressing in the book of Revelation are going to be called out for. But it's much more serious than just nodding off in church. Uh, This is a church that has spiritually fallen asleep. And Christ's overarching message to this church in Sardis and to maybe you today is just found in two words. Wake up. Would you stand with your Bibles open? I'm going to begin to read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you have a seat as I pray? God, we thank you for this day. and. Lord, we confess this morning that we need you. We are desperately in need of you this morning. Every hour we need you. And Lord, as we walk through this world that is filled with lesser gods we're tempted to run to and worship, we need your spirit to help us to be enamored by the glory of Christ this morning. I pray that your spirit would help us do just that. Lord, I pray that your spirit would empower us and enable us to wake up if we need to wake up this morning, to grow where we need to grow, to change where we need to change for your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is week six of our study uh, in the first three chapters of Revelation as we see Jesus giving his evaluation of seven churches 
that existed, historical churches that existed in the first century. Ben did an awesome job last week preaching on the church in Thyatira, and I appreciate uh, him uh, doing that for us. And today we're going to be looking at the church in Sardis. And I want you to see three things in this text this morning. I want to see, and I'll give them to you right up front, how Christ presents a piercing rebuke, how Christ provides a path to restoration, and how Christ points to a promised reward. Let's begin. Number one, Christ presents a piercing rebuke. All right, now we're going to work our way to that rebuke, but for a moment, let's look at the introduction of this letter. Just look at the first few words. It says, into the angel of the church in where? Sardis, all right? Sardis was one of the oldest cities in that region in that time, in the first century. It was established in 1200 BC, and the city was very proud of its history. They were proud of their strength. It was a city that was situated up on top of a mountain. It was surrounded by these unscalable cliffs. It it, it seemed unconquerable by many people in that part of the world. So if you're a citizen in Sardis, you're proud of your heritage. You feel extremely confident and secure by all those natural defenses that are around you. But over time in Sardis, their confidence became overconfidence. They got lazy, kind of sat around and uh, tried to live off the fumes of past victories from the good old days, they let their guard down and it bit them. And just like a lot of these other churches that we've been looking at, the church in Sardis becomes a lot like the city that it's in. They become lazy. They become spiritually sleepy. They're spiritually letting their guard down, and they need to wake up, and Jesus is coming to wake them up. Now, as he's done in these other letters, he's not going to start here with a how-to or things to do. He's going to start with a who. Look at the way he introduces himself in verse 1. He says, he's the one, I'm the one who has the seven spirits uh, and the seven stars. All right, the seven stars, we've covered this, are representative angels, one assigned to each of these churches. And and here's here's what the message that this is giving us here. The main message is that Jesus is in control of his church. That he holds his bride secure. He also mentions seven spirits here. Now we see that phrase in chapter 1, verse 4. And this is a phrase that's in reference to the Holy Spirit. Seven conveys uh, the idea of completeness or fullness. So this is saying that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is in the hand of the Lord. All right. Now as we move through this, we'll understand more why this church needed these specific characteristics of Christ to be in view in this letter. Now, what's interesting about this church is there would have been a lot of people in that area, in Sardis and in that region and across the Christian world, that would have had a lot of positive things to say about the church in Sardis. In verse 2, Jesus says, you have the reputation of being alive. In the Greek, that literally means you have a name. He's saying you have a name in the world of being a church that is alive. This church would have been the church. Everybody talked, hey, this is the church that's got it going on. This is the church you've got to go to. This is a church with the most exciting worship services. This is the church with the slickest, best, coolest social media presence. This is the church that's getting articles written about them in the top Christian journalism outlets of the day and with glowing reviews. They got it going on. And yet Jesus looks at this church in Sardis and has a different evaluation. And his opinion is the only opinion that really counts. And he looks at this church and he knows that what they're known for does not match up with who they actually are. We came here this morning. Our cars are parked in the parking lot of a church. You walked in here and you're sitting down and we're all facing the same direction, singing songs about Jesus. Bible's open. It appears that we're here to learn about Jesus. 
We look like a very Christian group of people here this morning. And all of that can give off the impression this morning that there's spiritual life here in this room, that there's spiritual life in each of our lives, but only Jesus knows if there actually is. That's the difference between Jesus and people. We can think we know things about each other, but He doesn't think things about anyone. God knows things about people. He doesn't just know our reputation. He knows our reality. And with the church in Sardis, he explains, I know who you really are. You may have a reputation of being a lively church. You may have a reputation of being a lively Christian group of people, but I know your reality, all right? And here's the piercing rebuke. You're dead. You may dress like a vibrant Christian. You may talk like a vibrant Christian. You may do a lot of religious activity that gives the impression that you're a vibrant Christian, but in actuality, on the inside, you're dying. I read this week about Jeremy Bentham. He was a wealthy man who died in 1832 with the agreement that his entire fortune would be donated to the University College Hospital in London, but only if the college agreed to do something very specific and a little creepy. He would only donate his entire fortune if the college agreed to embalm his body and to wheel him in to the annual board meeting every year as long as the hospital existed. And apparently the hospital needed the money because they made the agreement. And to this day, you can Google it. You can look it up on YouTube. It's real and really creepy. All right? they, every year at the annual board meeting, his body is brought out, and the chairman of the board every year says, Jeremy Bentham, present but not voting. <laughs> he's there. Bentham is dressed. He's at the meeting. Yet he'll never raise his hand, he'll never make a motion, he'll never make a noise for that matter. If he does, that'll probably be the last board meeting that they ever have (laughs) at that college or that hospital. He's present, but he's certainly not engaged. He's attending the meeting, but he's dead. And that's a perfect illustration for the people in the church in Sardis. And sadly, it's an illustration of a lot of people in a lot of churches today. Filled with people who are here People who are going through the motions and yet are spiritually completely dead. Or believers who are so spiritually asleep, while they go through the motions, they're making about the same type of eternal impact as a spiritually dead person would make. And what's tragic is this is happening in a lot of churches that, like Sardis, at one time were truly alive. Were truly vibrant but who are now riddled with spiritual apathy and with sin and with a fleshly craving for the approval of people more than Christ and with compromise because along the way they let their guard down and now they're dying. What's ironic is this seems to be a very Sardis thing to do. I mentioned that the city of Sardis was an extremely fortified city. And for centuries, no one could conquer it. Enemy nations had difficulty conquering the city. But as the story goes, one day... They were surrounded by an army trying to figure out a way to conquer this unconquerable city. And an archer for Sardis was looking over a wall and his helmet fell off. And it fell down into this valley kind of river basin area. And the archer from Sardis goes down this secret passageway, kind of spits him out at the bottom of this wall. He runs out and gets his helmet and runs back in. And the enemy army sees him. They're like, did y'all just see that? Did you see what? The guy just ran out. There's a secret door down there. And so that night they 
sent some spies, they get into that secret passageway, they open the city gates, and the city is conquered, right? Now, you would expect that to happen only one time. Like, it happens once, and it never happens again, right? Like, maybe, I'd imagine the general calls a meeting, like, listen, fellas, if your helmet falls off, don't be like Daryl over here. Don't run, don't run down there and get your helmet and show them where our secret doors are at. Just come see me. I'll get you a new helmet. And yet it happens again. They were invaded twice in the same way. Think about that. They had the name in that area, in that region, of being this powerful and conquerable city, but they were getting destroyed and killed. How? From the inside out. And Jesus is telling this church, you've become just like your city. You've maintained this look of a strong, big, impressive church with all this religious activity, all these religious motions, and yet underneath it, you've gotten complacent. You've let your guard down, and what you've done is you've let the rottenness of the culture that you're supposed to reach creep into your own hearts to where you're indistinguishable from the world you're supposed to be reaching, and you're losing your witness. That explains why this is one of the rare churches in all of these letters that you don't see anything written in these letters about about them being persecuted. You, You say, well, why is that? Because complacent, cold Christians usually don't get a lot of heat from the lost world. There's not a lot of friction. Warren Wearsby said this about the church in Sardis. The lost people in Sardis saw this church as a respectable group of people who were neither dangerous nor desirable. A church that's neither dangerous nor desirable. Came up with a few marks this week of a church that's neither dangerous nor desirable. Marks of a dying, harmless church. What are some marks? It's a church that lacks a desperate dependence on the Holy Spirit, it's a church that lacks humility. It's a church that lacks a love for Jesus, a heart love for Jesus. It's a church that lacks gospel amazement. It's a church that lacks a passionate pursuit of holiness. This was Sardis. You say, well, how do I know that? Well, look in verse 4. Jesus talks about, he'll talk about in a moment, how there was a few in the church who had not, this is the way he says it, had not soiled their garments. You know what that implies? That there were a lot who had. This is a disturbing picture right here of how God looks at sin in the life of the church. So a lot of people will take this kind of phrase, soiled their garments, and they'll just try to kind of generally make the application. This talking about letting kind of the corruption of the world just kind of get on you. No, no. Welcome to Schindler Drive to where we're going to unpack verses even when it gets a little awkward. We have a lot of young parents around the church right now, which is awesome. A lot of babies, right? It's exciting. But one of the, and many of you know, you know this if you've raised kids, uh, one of the, the daily, ch- the challenges that you deal with in raising a, a baby or a toddler, one of the inevitable things you're going to deal with are the diapers. The dirty diapers, stinky diapers, right? It's just part of raising a baby. And one of the main, the, the main alarm that, you know, indicates that, that there's a problem there, that there's a dirty diaper, is the smell. It's a smell that young parents are going to deal with, you know, but at the same time, they look forward to a season in the future that they're not going to have to deal with that anymore, right? Because it's a smell you're repulsed by. No matter how many kids you have, it's a smell you're repulsed by, you know, hence all the diaper genies and all the contraptions they come up with to get it out of sight and out of mind and out of smell. And that phrase in verse 4, it's a sobering picture. That phrase in verse 4 is giving us this picture of Jesus walking the aisles of his church with like a holy sense of smell, as it were. And as he passes some of his disciples, that there's good smells, smells that have the aroma of the culture of the kingdom of God, 
But as he walks by some, it's as if they've messed themselves. That's how repulsed he is by sin. It's a dichotomy in the mind of God. It's difficult to wrap our minds around that he can be a friend of sinners and yet be so repulsed by the sin in our life when we call ourselves children of God. So it's a church that's neither dangerous nor desirable because they lack a passionate pursuit of holiness. It's a church that's lost its vision for who Jesus has commissioned it to be on mission. Making disciples, they, they've turned inward. They're, they're, they're a, dying, a dying church, a harmless church is a church that's turned inward. That's what's happened in Sardis. At one time, they were a rescue boat, seeing themselves in, the sea, in a sea of sinners in a culture that was drowning in sin. But they've got the answer. They're on, a, they're on a mission. They've got a rescue boat. But over time, they've turned their church into more of a cruise ship. And when that shift starts happening, death is coming. And it can happen to any church. But here's the good news this morning, that we serve a Savior who resurrects. We serve a Savior who revives. We serve a Savior who restores. So this is a, a word of warning to a church like ours. But it's also a word of healing to anyone here this morning who needs to be resurrected or revived. There's some of you here this morning who need to be resurrected. You need spiritual life this morning because you're dead in your sins. He'll give you life today. But there are believers here this morning who need to be revived. And you say, is there hope for a sleepy saint like me? Yeah. Is there hope for a hypocrite like me who may have the reputation but does not have the reality? Absolutely. Jesus has a restoration plan for you this morning. Jesus has a restoration plan for you this morning. Number two, Christ provides a path to restoration and revival. Now you would think that our loving, authoritative Lord saying, wake up, would do the job, right? Well, unfortunately, we got some heavy sleepers, right? We're, we're, we're sometimes heavy sleeping disciples. Anybody a heavy sleeper? Right? Anybody married to a heavy sleeper? I know uh, my, some of my kids are, are heavy sleepers and often the command coming from their authority, authoritative parents, right? Uh, parental voice is not enough. Just saying wake up is not enough. They need a little bit, you know, they need a little bit more encouragement. They need a little bit, some further motivation, right? They need some lights turned on. They need some, uh, somebody just, they need some, <laughs> whatever works. They need some lights turned on. They need some covers taken off of them. They need some toes pulled on. You know what I'm saying? They need some motivation to wake up. And Jesus knows the exact kind of further motivation that we need to wake up. And in verse 3, Jesus says this, and this is where we lean in. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Remember then what you received and heard. What did we receive? I believe as we think about the way Christ introduces himself in his introduction in verse 1, as the one who holds the seven spirits of God in his hand, that this is referring to the Holy Spirit. Remember that you received what? The Holy Spirit. This letter is reminding us that no matter where we're at spiritually, no matter who you are this morning, no matter where you are at spiritually, if you don't have spiritual life, if you've got spiritual life, but you're being lazy right now, or if you're walking in faithfulness, we all have one thing in common. We are in desperate, continual need of the Holy Spirit to work in our life. And that, that's what we need this morning, and that can happen. The risen Christ can give you that by the power of the Holy Spirit that He possesses. He's the one that can raise dead churches to life. He's the one that can resurrect marriages that feel like they're dying. 
He's the one who can reignite a passion in you for Jesus that was once before. If we will humbly bow before our Lord and pray, fill me with your spirit. Lord, I need your manifold presence to work in me, to wake me up in the work. We ultimately need the spirit to do in our life. That is key to us staying awake, to being awake, to staying awake, and to staying on mission, and to experiencing true, vibrant spiritual life is we need his help to keep us enamored and captivated by the gospel that's what ultimately wakes us up i need you to lean in right here when we talk about spiritual sleepiness with the gospel right here we're talking about the ultimate red bull for your sleepy soul this is what wakes you up This is what gets your head back in the game. Jesus says, remember then what you heard. What is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. Remember when you heard the good news that transformed your life. Remember when you bowed your knee to Jesus and received the gospel, the good news that God sent his son to live the perfect life that you couldn't live in your place and he died on the cross in your place for your sins and he rose from the grave conquering the grave that you couldn't conquer and how through faith in that redemptive story he saved us by his grace. He gave us new life. He forgave us of our sins past, present, and future. He put his Holy Spirit inside of us. He made us heirs with Christ. As long as that story never gets old in my life, it never stops changing my life. If I ever get spiritually sleepy and complacent and comfortable in this world and in the things of this world, it's because that message has grown old in my heart. The gospel is what changes us. The gospel is what becomes the catalyst for spiritual change and vibrancy in our life, in our generosity, in our purity, in our holiness, in our marriages, in our relationships, in the way we engage people missionally. It's what keeps us awake. It's what keeps us compassionate. It's what keeps us bold in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because when you really understand what Christ has done for you and what his death meant for you, you will get passionate about the gospel. You know, we tend to think about and talk a lot about things we're passionate about. Amen. You say, well, I, I don't really feel, I don't feel very equipped to, I'm more of an introverted person, I don't, and I also don't feel very equipped to talk about, uh, you know, the things of God and, and the gospel. I don't know if that's it's something that I'm going to be able to do. And don't give me that. I've heard you talk about the Florida Gators. I've heard you talk about the Florida State Seminoles and the Georgia Bulldogs, and I'm tempted to say the Jacksonville Jaguars, but I'm not sure if there's anybody who's going to be verbally defending them. And I'm a Jaguars fan, I'm just saying. Struggle's real. But I've heard you engage in conversations about things that you're passionate about and excited about, whether it's sports or your political position or a movie that you just saw. The point is, is we talk a lot about what we're excited about. And when it, comes to, when it comes to evangelism and sharing the gospel so often, it's not as much of an issue of being unequipped to share the gospel as much as, much as it's an issue of being unexcited. Wow. And what will always get you back into the saddle, I'm telling you, is a gospel gunslinging, dangerous disciple awake on mission is remembering what we heard, being once again enamored. And captivated by the gospel. A big reason so many churches like Sardis, so many individual believers like the disciples in Sardis, get lazy, get on the sideline, grow silent about their faith, is because of a loss of gospel amazement. Never forget this. 
A lack of missional engagement is always connected to a lack of gospel amazement. A lack of missional engagement is always connected to a lack of gospel amazement. But I'm telling you, as long as this story never gets old, as long as this story never gets cold in our heart, as long as this story, the gospel, never gets stale within our lives, it'll never stop changing our life. It'll never stop developing us into dangerous disciples who can't help. We can't shut up about Jesus. We can't stop telling people in love, in a broken world, about the Jesus who rescued us, who can rescue them. That's the point of our existence. That's the point of our existence as a church. That's the point of our existence as disciples in our workplace, on our campuses. And Jesus tells Sardis, the end of verse 3, if you don't get this, if you don't repent, if you don't remember the gospel and get back on mission, I will come and shut down your church. I'll go ahead, the, the light's already dim, and I'll go ahead and just turn it off. But he's given Sardis an opportunity to repent and to be revived if they'll heed this instruction. He ends by giving some more motivation to wake up. That's our third point. Christ points to a promised reward. Christ points to a promised reward. Look at verse 4. Yet you still have a few in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So this isn't just a church just filled completely with spiritually dead or spiritually sleepy believers. There were a few in Sardis who were living faithfully for the Lord. I want you to know this. Never underestimate the impact, the lives of just a few faithful believers that they can have on a church. You know why? Because you become an example that can help encourage sleepy believers to wake up. It helps remind them of who they are. It helps set an example and a model for them what it looks like to be motivated by the grace and the love of God to live a life that's obedient and faithful. It shows them that it's possible to live. Some people need the encouragement this morning. They've fallen asleep. And they need the encouragement of seeing someone who they know is not living for Jesus to earn His love, but living for Him from His love. And is demonstrating a radical obedience. And it shows them it is possible to live in this world, but not of this world. Not perfectly, but progressively. And there were disciples in Sardis doing just that. They're disciples in Schindler, at Schindler Drive, doing just that, seeking to live their life in tune with their identity. You say, well, what's our identity? Well, it's, there's a lot to it, but it's summed up right here in this verse in one word, worthy. He says right there, he says you're worthy. If you're in Christ, regardless of whether you're a sleepy believer today or an alert, awake believer, you are worthy. How can Jesus say that about us? How can Jesus use the same word to describe us that he uses to describe himself in Revelation 5.12? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. How can Jesus say that? How can Jesus say that about us? Because he's taken his worth and applied it to us. Applied it to our account. He's the one who makes us worthy. That's what happened on the cross. And it's a done deal. That's who we are. We are promised to be clothed in white and called worthy in the sight of God now and forevermore. And now what we do is we spend the rest of our lives living in such a way that reflects that we're His. That reflects His heart. That reflects His desires. His character. And there were a few believers in Sardis seeking to do that. Seeking to live out their identity in Christ as worthy, loved, accepted children of the king. That's why some of their garments right here aren't soiled. 
So going back to the dirty diaper illustration. I guess you could say it this way, that there were some disciples in Sardis who were learning to smell things the way Jesus smells things. Who were learning to be repulsed by sinful aromas the way that Jesus is repulsed by them. You know, I had COVID in 2020. And I got that strand that knocks out your smell and your taste. I mean, it was dead. It was gone for like three months. I about lost my mind. I was getting depressed. I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to taste pizza again. I don't know if I'm ever going to taste a cinnamon roll again. Right? I, I wasn't even eating. I wasn't eating for pleasure for like three months. I was just like you know, scooping up coals and throwing them in the furnace just to keep myself alive. I was, just, I was just eating because I knew I had to eat. Dead as a doornail. And one day, Rebecca was um, making a salad, I think, in the, in, the, in the kitchen. And she had a bottle of ranch dressing out. And she thought, I mean, I was, I was losing. I was going around the house every day, you know, burying my nose in candles and smelling all kinds, tasting all kinds of things, just hoping one day I would just, I, I, would, I would taste something. She had a bottle of ranch dressing. I put the ranch dressing on my finger and I touched my tongue and I went, hallelujah, I can taste. <laughs> I, 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 seriously, I about drank that entire bottle like it was a drink. Ranch dressing will always be my friend, man. Got my taste back. But you know what's weird? I, I slowly began to regain my, my smell and my taste. But did you know it's still not the same? It's changed. It, it's weird. It's like there's, there's things that I, I used to not like at all, I was repulsed by, that now I actually love. I, I, I used to not like mushrooms or onions on anything. Now I like them. I, I, there's things that I used to love that I, I'm not that big of a fan about anymore. My smell is different. And, and it's like spiritually when you come to Jesus, you receive a new set of spiritual senses. And over time as a disciple, those sharpen and you learn to see, you learn to think, you learn to feel, you learn to smell things in this world the same way your Savior does. And that's what you see happening in the life of the faithful few here in Sardis. And it can happen in your life too. I want to encourage you this morning. Listen, sleepy believer, lean in and listen. Let the Holy Spirit wake you up to this reality this morning. You can grow in your relationship with Christ. You can spend time daily in His Word. And over time, you will start to find that the aroma of temptation that you once loved will start repelling you more and more like a dirty diaper. And you'll start finding out that the aroma of holiness and godliness will start drawing you in like the smell of a ribeye steak coming off the grill. Or the smell of cookies coming out of the oven. Or the smell of Krispy Kreme donuts when they're hot and you go through the drive-thru and you get them in your car and you open the lid and wipe that smell out in your car. Y'all don't kind of get an amen? Anybody with me? This is an encouragement to the faithful few right here. Jesus is saying, I see you, but it's also a call for the sleepy in Sardis and the sleepy people here today to get off your rear end and join the party. To experience the joy found in walking as a worthy child of the King. Let me close by looking at the rest of the promise in verse 5. It says, The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. If you're a Christian this morning, this is true for your life. This is true for you. Your name has been permanently written down in heaven. And if your name has been written down in heaven this morning, that's a wake-up call. If your name has been written down in heaven, you're in Christ, your name's been written down in heaven, you know what that means? It means no matter what you're going through today, you've got a reason to sing. 
You've got a reason to rejoice. And then he says, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. There is coming a day, church, I want you to use your imagination for a moment. When people will stand before Almighty God, and if you're a believer, if you've confessed Jesus before men, if you've boasted in Christ in this life as the Lord of your salvation, I don't know what this moment in our future will look like, but Jesus is coming back, and there's coming a moment. Again, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I can only imagine, based on texts like this, that there's coming a day when you'll stand there next to Jesus and he'll put his arm around you and there before God and before the array of hosts of armies that he'll use to win the last great battle, he'll say, this is my son and you fill in the blank. This is, you fill in the blank with your name. This is Jonathan and he is mine. This is Jonathan and he is with me. This is Jonathan, and I know him. Father, he's with us. There is no greater catalyst for personal revival than looking back to the best news ever, the gospel, and looking forward and understanding the certain future that is ours in Christ Jesus. And one day Jesus will call us his own. Those words will come out of his mouth about you if you're in Christ. He is mine. She is mine. Bought with my blood. No punishment for them. Only reward. Only reward. Only reward. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Yes, that's something we can praise God about this morning. How can that truth not spur us on to greater and deeper amounts of devotion to Him and His mission? How can these truths, if we believe them this morning, not wake us up? In light of these truths, here's my charge to you this morning. Let's wake up. Let's declare our devotion to Jesus Christ. Let's stop chasing the approval of man and worry more about the opinion of God. Let's treasure the gospel. Let's depend on the Holy Spirit. Let's bear witness to His name. Let's pursue the reality of spiritual life and not just reputation. Let's wake up. Who are you this morning? Not what's your name. I don't want you know, I'm talking about that. I'm talking about who are you in this text? Who are you in this text? Are you spiritually dead this morning? You know, I'm glad you're here. But did you know being in a place like this can be also one of the most dangerous places you can be? You say, well, what do you mean by that? Because if you're here and you look Christian, and you're going through Christian motions, but there's no spiritual life on the inside of you, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. What can happen is you can be around a bunch of religion and be deceived into thinking that you actually have life when you don't. You being in this building right now doesn't make you a Christian. No more than me putting my head in the microwave makes me a Pop-Tart. I never tried that. Actually, I may have tried that when I was in middle school, right? Long story I'll share on another occasion. You sticking your head in this building doesn't make you a Christian. You need new life. And Jesus can give you that life. Are you spiritually asleep this morning? Maybe you're coasting. Hey, maybe this is you. Maybe you've lost a sense of anticipation about the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there was a day when you showed up on a day like this and you anticipated. You couldn't wait to see what the Holy Spirit was going to do in your life and other people's life. And you've lost that. Maybe you don't have an expectation like you once had to see God move mightily among sick loved ones, not just physically, but spiritually. 
Maybe your marriage is damaged or dull and you've lost the anticipation that God could heal that, that God could revive that. God can resurrect. He can revive. He's really good at that. Are you complacent? Are you spiritually lethargic? Are you spiritually asleep? Here's my question to you. Will you allow the words of Jesus to wake you up? If you're His, He will wake you up. But how about this morning? You allow His kindness to lead you to repentance instead of having to go through a rock-bottom experience in order to lead you to repentance. He's giving you this moment by His grace for you to repent, to remember, to run back into His loving arms, to wake up. Are you one of the faithful few this morning? If you're one of the faithful few, I want to, I want to say this. Praise God for that. Pray, that's a testimony of God's grace. And that in this season of your life, it's not perfect, but you're seeing God. You're, you're experience, experiencing victory, and you're seeing God work in some really cool ways in your life. Praise God for that, but be very careful. This morning, rejoice once more in the gospel. Rejoice in the grace of God and the Holy Spirit and His work that He's doing in your life. Give God the glory for that. There's nothing more that the enemy would love for you to do this morning for you to just get a little bit bored with the gospel. A little bit bored with God and His truth. If you're one of the faithful few, can I ask you to do something? Could you pray for the sleepy? Could you pray for the spiritually lost? Not just set an example for them. They need your prayers. They need your love. They need your care. Some of you need to join the church. Some of you need to join a living body like Schindler Drive Baptist Church. You need a faith family to help you walk through the good times and the bad times. Are you part of a living church? There's a lot of people out there who kind of like pick a church almost like they dated in high school. I'm going to go over here for a little bit and I I like the music here. I don't like that anymore. I'm going to go here and try this one out a little bit. Oh, now I like the music over here. I'm going to go there for a little bit and I'll go there this Sunday and I'll come over here and I'll go to this church because I like their preaching on this Sunday. I like this church's kids program. That's not what Christ desires of your life and your family's life. He's calling you to plug in somewhere. Pop the question. Make a commitment. I'm not saying it has to be here. I'm saying somewhere. But is the Holy Spirit leading you to plug in here? What are you waiting for? Plug in. Become a member. Join us. If that's you this morning, in just a few moments, I'm going to be standing down front. That's a way that you can indicate to us that you want to join our church. But even, you know, that aside, you can also just go by the welcome station today and we'll show you how you can become a member of this church. Overarching message of this passage to this church, and it's the message for all of our lives this morning, is to wake up. So I'm about to pray that God won't just give us physical ears, but spiritual ears to hear His truth this morning. Let's pray.